It's me. Any lights out there anywhere? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. The, the angels have done their work. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about uh, angels. And uh, a man was walking in the street when he heard a voice. Stop. Stand still. If you take another step, a brick will fall down on your head and kill you. And so the man stopped and a brick fell right in front of him. And the man was astonished. He went on, and after a while, he was going across the road, and once again, the voice shouted, Stop! Stand still! If you take one more step, a car will run over you, and you will die. And the man did as he was instructed, and just at that moment, a car came careening around the corner and barely missed him. And the man said, Where are you, and who are you? And the voice replied, I'm your guardian angel. And the man said, Oh, yeah? And where were you when I got married? You're laughing a little too hard there, bud. <laughs> I want to talk to you uh, about the, what goes on in the spiritual realm, the unseen, the invisible realm uh, that we cannot see. Uh, I want you to know today, and I think many of us know this in our heads, if not in our hearts, that, that God is at work in ways that we know nothing about. And he has his servants busy and at work in ways that you and I know nothing about. And if you read from, from Genesis to Revelation, you'll in fact discover that there are many instances where God's messengers, called his angels, are busy at work doing missions or doing works on God's behalf. This morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about, uh, about Elisha. One of the great prophets, not to be confused with Elijah. Elisha was the prophet who was trained and mentored by Elijah. Elisha came after Elijah, experienced many of the same things that Elijah experienced. But um, I want to relate to you uh, a very, very interesting situation that Elisha found himself in. And, and uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Second Kings chapter 6 and, and you can follow along there if you like. Uh, king, the king of Aram, uh, just north, northeast of, of Israel, uh, was constantly wanting to pick a fight with Israel. They, he, he wanted to, he wanted to take over Israel. He wanted to increase his land. And look at that. After all these years, he's still facing the same problems in the Middle East. Well, back then, uh, it was no different. King of Aram wanted to take over Israel. And, um, after conferring with his officers, they'd have the round, round table discussion, and he would say to the officers, uh, "Look, I, we want you to, um, we want you to uh, uh, take your, take your, your soldiers, your troops, and position them in such such a place." And they would do that, and um, and then next thing you know, Elisha would send word to the king of Israel, saying, "Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going to be down there." And so the uh, king of Israel would go check on the place indicated by, by Elisha, and sure enough, there were the soldiers of Aram ready to ambush the soldiers or the, the, uh, the armies of Israel. And uh, the king of Aram, in short, just kept being outsmarted by Israel. And so finally, one day, he's enraged, and he calls his officers together, and he says, is somebody here on my in my council, 
secretly on the side of Israel? What is going on? Why is it that every time we try to subdue Israel, why is it that they know all about our plans? And one of the soldiers, one of the officers says, Sir, none of us is on Israel's side. But Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very word that you speak in your bedroom. What? The king of Aram is furious. This man of God's got an inside track. He knows everything that's going on before it even happens. And so the king of Aram says, look it, go to Israel and find out where he is so that I can send men and capture him. And so the report comes back to the king, and they say he's in Dothan. So then he sends horses and chariots and a strong force to capture this one man. And uh, they went by night and surrounded the whole city. The next morning, Elisha's servant gets up and sees this massive force arrayed against just Elisha. And the servant is, is literally paralyzed with fear. He just... He is scared silly. He doesn't know what to do. He knows, believes that his days are over. And he says, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? And here's, here's what Elisha's answer is. Look at this. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What Elisha's servant could not see was that at that very moment, they were literally surrounded by the hosts of heaven. And the Bible says that as the enemy came down toward Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. Interesting, isn't it? Elisha prays that his servant has his eyes open, and Elisha's servant now sees the angel hosts. And now he prays that the, the servants of the king of Aram would go blind. And uh, Elisha says uh, to the soldiers, the whole army of Aram, I want you to come with me, follow me. You're all blind, so you don't really have a choice in the matter. Just follow me. And he leads them into the city of Samaria. And the Bible says, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. And the Lord opens their eyes. And there, lo and behold, Elisha has single-handedly captured the army of the king of Aram. And there they are in the city of Samaria. Now, the king of Israel is like, oh, goody, (laughs) goody. He says, "Uh, Elisha, shall we kill him now? Shall we kill him? The Bible actually says that. It repeats it not once but twice. Shall we kill him? Shall we kill him? And Elisha says, would you really do that? Would you, would you strike dead these people who have been captured by you? And he says, no, don't kill them. Rather, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. And the Bible says that the king of Israel prepared this great feast for these soldiers who had come to, to kill Elisha. And they had a great feast And when they had finished eating and drinking, the Bible says, they returned to their master. Listen to this. So that the bands 
of raiders from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. And that was the end of the fight. Now, I want you to recognize for a moment here what happens when we fall in line with God's plan and when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And when we begin to see with spiritual eyes and begin to see that there's something happening in the spiritual realm that you and I know nothing about. God wants us to begin to understand and begin to see beyond the realities of this world. How many know that? But here in North America, we've become so sophisticated now that we don't even want to talk about the supernatural. We don't even want to talk about the, the reality of what happens in the unseen world. Even though God is invisible. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that our Christianity has lost that vital component? And I think it's no wonder that so many of us have lost our faith. Now, God wants you to see with spiritual eyes. He wants you to understand with spiritual understanding. He wants you to recognize that He is at work on your behalf in ways that you know nothing about. And those times, those moments when you feel like panicking because things seem to be out of control, understand this. God is at work. God is in His heaven. And His angels are being dispatched. And His angels are at work in ways that you and I know nothing about. And I want to teach you about the angel hosts that are at work even now, this morning. Look around you this morning. Do you know that there's angels here? That's right. Oh, Pastor, you're kind of freaking me out. (laughs) Don't be freaked out. What are you being freaked out about? In fact, what you should be recognizing is, wow, this is really cool. The power of God is present here, and his angels are present here this morning to do his work. And if you take the time to take your Bible and begin to read it, you'll begin to see that this is, in fact, the truth. So I want to share with you, first of all, a few facts about angels. Look at this. Elisha says, um, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes, and there before him, the hills are full of horses and chariots of, of fire. They're all around him. You see, that, that that is precisely what's wrong with North American Christianity. We just... It's, it's not supernatural anymore. We want to make everything as natural as possible. Why? So that we can stay in control. You see, that is what we are by nature. We're people, we're creatures that want to be in control. And we see this right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, what do they want? They want to take control of their destiny, take control of their lives. They don't want to trust their lives, entrust their lives to God. And so this morning, what you need to understand is that God's saying, look it, let me help you. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me answer prayer. Let me do miracles once again. But see, we don't believe in an unseen realm in which God and his angels operate. We become far too sophisticated for that. And that's why so much of preaching and teaching today is very much along the lines of the how-to. Many people don't even need to go to church anymore. They just need to go to chapters to the how-to section, the do-it-yourself section, get a few books and fix your life. But I'm going to, I, I suspect this this morning as I look out here, that you want more than that. 
You want the power of God at work in your life. You want God's messengers at work in your life. Would anybody say amen to that? You know that on your own, you're probably going to muck it up. Am I right? You're going to make a mess of it. You're probably not going to get it right. But I'm telling you, my friends, if you humbly, if you humbly submit to God, the Bible says that God opposes, opposes the proud, but gives what? He gives grace to the humble. That's where God begins to move in, and that's where you begin to see the supernatural at work in your life. Now, just because we can't see angels, does that mean they don't exist? Of course not. It just means that we don't have that, that sense. Can a, can a deaf person appreciate a Beethoven symphony? Of course not. He hasn't got the ability to hear that. This is not discrimination, just a reality. It's a fact. Can a blind man appreciate the beauty of a sunset on Lake Winnipeg? And so it is with us. Just because we can't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. But by faith, we look at the Scriptures and we see that, in fact, Angels are busy and at work. And we see them right from the very beginning of time. We see the, gar- the angel at the Garden of, of, uh, of Eden with a fiery sword, the Bible says, doing what? Keeping Adam and Eve out of the garden after they decided what? That they're going to take life into their own hands. We see angels visiting Abraham. We see angels uh, visiting Daniel with a message from God. We see an angel of God leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. We see angels uh, visiting Mary and Joseph and telling them the good news and visiting Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. We see an angel leading Peter out of prison. We see angels throughout the book of Revelation carrying out God's judgment on the earth. Understand something, my friends. Angels are busy and are at work in ways that you and I know nothing about. Now, here's the thing. These, these angels are angels of God sent on missions to fulfill God's purposes and plans. Someone says, why do angels, or do angels really have wings? Well, we don't really know for sure, but I do know this, that when God gives instructions to Moses about how to create, how to make the Ark of the Covenant, he tells, he tells Moses to, to, to make sure that there are two cherubim, which are angels, fashioned on the top of the Ark of the Covenant with their wings touching. This is, this is, this is instructions right from God himself. Uh, we see Ezekiel describing various angels and Isaiah describing angels. And uh, some would suggest that the wings on these angels suggest their, their ability to transcend the dimensions of this world. Now, having said all this, I want you to know also that angels are neither male nor female. And yet every time you see any angel created in artwork or uh, fashioned uh, by hand, you'll see that they usually look like like female. Some said female, some say males. Uh, but they're neither. They're neither male nor female. That's what Jesus himself said. The other thing I want you to know, that, the, that there are archangels, angel leaders. There are angel divisions that are responsible for various tasks. Um, Daniel seems to suggest to us that, that, that every nation has its prince angel. Exactly what all that means, we don't know, because there's limited uh, instruction from the Scripture on this. We know that angels are not to be prayed to and not to be worshipped. 
And how many know today that there is a great movement along that line where people are, are going to see uh, 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 angel angel guides? This is this is demonic, my friend. This is not this is not what God wants for you and for me. Our relationship is to God and God alone. Angels are God's servants sent to serve us. They're not to be worshipped. They're not to be prayed for or prayed to. And the next thing you need to know is that angels are ranked lower than God and a little higher than man. Angels are not omniscient. They are messengers. And so you need to understand something today that ultimately our focus is on God. Ultimately, our trust, our faith is in God. Ultimately, angels are sent as messengers to serve you and me. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because that's a pretty awesome thought, that in the unseen realm, there are angels at work on your half and on my behalf doing things that you and I know nothing about. Now, having said all of that, uh, we need to look again at what Elisha says to his servant. He says this. What are those first three words? Say it with me. Say that to the person beside you. Don't be afraid. Now, listen to me. This instruction, don't be afraid, by the way, is, listen, it's fundamental to this Christian faith of ours. You, you'll see these three words from, from Genesis to Revelation. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because a life that does not have God at work in it is always going to be subject to fear. Did you know that? The life that has the guidance and the help and the presence of God is the life that is empowered and led by God and is absolutely fearless. I'm going to tell you this today. There's nothing that will paralyze you like fear or anxiety or worry. Isn't that the truth? And this is why Peter, in one of his epistles, says this in 1 Peter 5, 17. He says this, cast all your anxiety or all your fear on God because he cares for you. Now, listen to this. You cast your fear on God because what? Because he cares for you. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And so where there is fear, there is not the presence of God. Where there is fear, there is not the love of God. Now listen to this, listen. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. In other words, don't be panicking. Don't be biting your nails. Don't be freaking out. That's what he's saying here. Be self-controlled. Don't be losing it. Be controlled. Listen to this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, Peter says this, give your fear and anxiety to God. Don't be afraid. Now, you say, well, Pastor, how do, I, how do I do that? How can I put that into practice in my life? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, first of all. You need to bring your thing, whatever it is, that's causing you anxiety, what's causing you fear, what's causing you worry. You need to bring that thing to God in prayer. In fact, the Bible says you need to make it a habit. That's what it means to be self-controlled. It means it's your habit. Your habit is to go to God with a thing that's causing you fear, anxiety, or worry. But what do we most of us do when we are fearful and afraid and anxious? We first of all have a panic attack, and then we try to self-medicate, either with pills or with food or or with drink or drugs or whatever, but we, we try desperately to deal with our fear in all the wrong ways. 
And Peter says, get in the habit of bringing your fear, bringing your problem, bringing your anxiety to God first. And you'll find out that when you get there, God will not be shaking his finger at you and saying, you stupid, how silly, I can't believe this. This is the second time, this is the, te- this is the hundredth time you've come. No, God's not going to do that because Peter tells us that God cares for us. He cares for you. He loves you. And you can come with the same anxiety, the same fear over and over and over again. And guess what you're going to get? You're going to get God with his arms wide open saying, come on in. I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. Be not afraid. That's, that's got to be your habit. That's the first thing you got to do. And then the second thing you need to do is you need to just remember. Remember this. Remember that God cares for you. And secondly, remember that God is working in the invisible realm in ways that you cannot see or even begin to understand. That's, my friend, the recipe for fear, anxiety, or worry in your life. Get in the habit of bringing it to God and then remember. Remember God cares for you. Then remember. That God is at work in ways you know nothing about. Now, this is, this, is, this is about faith in an invisible God. This is about faith in a God who is, has servants out doing his work on your behalf and on mine. Now, can I just remind you of something? Peter says here that the enemy is a, the enemy of the devil is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion. Do you know how, how a lion catches his prey? He just has to roar, and it, it literally paralyzes his prey so he can't move. And so many of us are even here today paralyzed by fear because the enemy, the devil, has roared, and your heart is full of fear, and you can't even move. You can't even pray. You can do nothing. Those paralyzed by fear are like Elisha's servant, who all he could see was the roar of the king of Aram's army. This morning, what are you hearing? Are you hearing the gentle voice of the Savior which says, I love you, you're going to be okay, I'm sovereign, I'm in control? Or do you hear the threats, the ugly threats of the enemy? This is a command, don't be afraid. This is a command. This is, this is an imperative. This is something that you must do. You must not be afraid. And having established that, then here's something else you need to know. There are angels right now involved in your life helping you. There are angels right now that God has dispatched to, to serve you. And I want you to know that the angels of God were present to help not just Elisha and Elisha's servant, but those angels were dispatched to help the whole nation of Israel. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart because here's the thing. Do you know that when you are fearful, when you don't trust God, that has a, has a, a trickle-down effect, and that will affect your family, that will affect your wife, your, your husband, it will affect the people at work. But when you trust God, when you put your trust in Him, then it not only means, it not only goes well for you, but it goes well then for, for the other people in your life as well. Why? Because you are standing up and being the man or, or woman that God wants you to be. Full of faith and full of trust in the Lord. Yeah, there are angels here this morning. And I want you to know something, that this is absolutely biblical. This is not just a a nice idea that Pastor Allen came up with just to make everybody feel good. I'm talking to you 
but what the Bible says. In Psalm 34, verse 7, David says this, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Now, look at this. Did you, did you catch that? Here's that word fear again. Because here's the thing. If you are afraid or fearful of the devil, he's got, he's got a foothold in your life. But you put your fear in God, and now God has control. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who what? Who fear him. Who trust him. Who look to him as the final authority, the final power. Did you know that Jesus says that you and I have guardian angels? How many remember the, the pictures maybe from your childhood where little, chi- little children are on the bridge going over, or I guess they're playing on the bridge looking into the water. And, I mean, you know what? Any, every parent's heart is in his throat when he or she sees their children playing near water. And then it shows the angels in the background watching over these kids and somehow our hearts are set at, are at rest, are set at peace. But can I remind you that Jesus says that each of us who are believers have, in fact, guardian angels. Look what it says in Matthew 18.10. Watch that you don't treat a single one of these childlike believers arrogantly. You realize, don't you, that their personal angels are constantly in touch with my Father in heaven. This morning, you have a personal angel that is in touch with our Father in heaven, looking out for you, taking care of you. In Hebrews 1.14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So all those who are believers, all those who are to inherit salvation, have a guardian angel, a personal angel there. To take care of you. I was listening to a missionary uh, share about um, uh, one summer while he was in in uh, Africa. In in fact, uh, Liberia. He said that their house was surrounded by bandits, and the bandits broke in to steal. And he was afraid, really afraid for his children. He thought, you know, I cannot have my children living in this kind of an atmosphere. This is far too dangerous for them. This is, this is going to terrify them. It's going to traumatize them for the rest of their lives. And he looked over at his son. His son was just sitting there, arms crossed, smile on his face. And the father said, I looked at my son. I thought he'd cracked up. He lost it. It, it, that, that it finally, the, the, the stress and the pressure of living in Africa, being attacked by, by these gorillas that somehow, and I'm talking about animals, I'm talking about, about soldiers with, with, with machine guns. He said, I thought that my kid would finally succumbed and, and had maybe gone, lost it, gone out of his mind. The soldiers, the, the attackers, the bandits left their, the missionary compound and the father said to the son, are you okay, son? And the son said, I'm fine, Dad. And the father said, didn't, don't you know that we were just attacked by bandits? He says, yes, Dad, but didn't you see them? When the son said, didn't you see them, the missionary said he's had, he felt cold chills run up and down his spine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? His son said, Dad, we were surrounded by, by these great... He didn't know that they were called angels. They were surrounded by these great, big bright, shining, 
uh, uh, beings, data. They, they looked like soldiers, but they were great and white. Didn't you see them, Dad? And the missionary said, at that moment, I decided that I was not going to be worrying about my family. I'm not going to be worrying about my wife. I'm not going to be worrying about my own life. I'm going to get about the business of doing the will of my Father in heaven because God is in control and God is protecting me. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today because, my friends, what God did over there in Africa, He's doing here for you today. And some of you today are thinking, man, I don't know about what the future holds for me. I don't know how, I don't know what's going to happen with my kids. You're fearful. You're afraid. Well, listen, cast out that fear in Jesus' name. Would you do that? Because the Bible doesn't want you to be afraid. The Bible wants you to walk in confidence and in boldness, knowing that in the unseen realm, God is at work on your behalf, protecting you, guarding you, guiding you, and helping you in ways that you know nothing about. Would you allow the Spirit of God to have His way in your life? I'm going to ask uh, Kevin. Kevin, would you come up here for a moment, please? And then we're going to show that video clip, if you want to get that ready. Some of you may or may not know that this man has served uh, this area for many years as our MLA and has truly done uh, a wonderful job. And just recently, he has uh, made a move um, to serve at the federal level. As a, well, he wants to let his name stand to be the, uh, what do you call it, Kevin? Member of Parliament. Member of Parliament. I knew that part, <laughs> but you're not quite there yet. Yeah. What's, what's the step you've got to go through? Nominated. You've got to be nominated to, to serve for the Liberal Party in this area. I'm going to tell you this. I have never, ever done this in my 27 years of ministry. But I want you to know that I stand here today um, supporting this man who loves God, who holds to my values. And I'd like us to pray for him right now and ask God to work on his behalf and pray that Kevin would rest in the confidence and the assurance that God is sovereign, he's in charge, and he's got his angels at work. Um, let us pray this morning that, that God will put his hand upon Kevin and lead him and direct him. And am I, am I doing a political pitch here this morning? No, I'm not at all. What I am doing, however, is I am standing up for a brother who believes in the same things that I believe, that has the same values that I have. And I can't think of a better man to represent us in northwest Winnipeg than this man who loves the Lord. So we're going to pray right now. And just before we pray, I want to say this to you. If you want to get involved and help Kevin and getting the nomination or uh, get involved uh, helping him in this campaign, I would like you to speak to him after the service. Would you do that? But let's pray right now for him. Father, I just want to say thank you for Kevin's life. I thank you right now, Father, that uh, you have uh, truly blessed him as your servant in this part of Winnipeg. The Bible tells us clearly that we're to pray for those who are in leadership, those who are in government. And God, we want to lift up Kevin to you right now and pray, God, that you would lead him and guide him. Uh, Father, there are, there are things, certain things happening right now uh, that we don't know anything about, uh, things that would maybe cause Kevin's heart to uh, be fearful, to be afraid. 
But uh, God, we thank you today that you're sovereign, you're in control. You know what's best for Kevin and his family. You know what's best for this part of Winnipeg. We pray right now, God, that you put your hand upon Kevin. Surround him with people, Lord God, that would support him, encourage him, help him. And uh, God, we just thank you right now for Kevin and Kathy. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for what you've done in their hearts. Thank you, Lord, that they're Christ followers today and truly want to serve you by serving this community. So, God, we just commit Kevin and Kathy to you right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Amen.